Good morning, church. It's good to see you all here. It's warming up. We are just two weeks away from Easter, Resurrection Sunday. That's getting exciting. I, and of course, we're building up through this time of, of Lent. And so uh, I just hope and pray that you are taking that extra time to get really focused as we get ready to celebrate a very special day here in two weeks. Um, I don't know if you know what this is. Some of you may not know. Okay? It's called a newspaper. I know most of you still get it, but there are some of you like, I don't get that anymore, right? But I want you to think about what you get when you get a newspaper, you know, what you find in a newspaper. You find not just good news, but unfortunately there's bad news in there. Or for some of you, you don't just find bad news, you actually find good news in there, right? Regardless of which way you look at it, you're going to get both. You're not going to open it up and find blank pages. You're not going to open it up and find sections missing like it's been stripped or cut out of there. You're going to find a complete newspaper filled with all kinds of various news articles, good news and bad news. You'll find local, you'll find national, you'll find the sports, you'll find comics, one of my personal favorites. You'll find advertisements, there's the obituaries, there's the business news. What we receive is a combination of good news and bad news. Personally, I'd rather only receive good news, but because I purchased it, I guess what? I get the bad to come with the good. I'd love to hear just good only. Let me say it again. I'd love to hear just the good, but it doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, I'm starting to look at the obituaries more. I have no idea why I do that. I used to make fun of people like, oh, I turn right to the obituaries to see who died. It's like, (laughs) you're getting old. And now I'm going, I'm looking at them too. So I must be getting old as as well, right? And then it's like, okay, quick, quick, uh, comics. Go back to the comics. Oh, good. Nothing beats Snoopy and Charlie Brown, right? I know there's bad things taking place. Here's the other thing about the newspaper. With the bad things that are still taking place, I already know the story, but I'm going to go in there and I'm going to read about it anyway. I don't know why. I already know it's bad. Maybe, maybe at the end of the story, there's going to be a little gag line there that says, April Fool's. Nothing bad really happened. It's all good. But we know that's never really in the paper, is it? What bothers me is that not only do I open the newspaper and I'm looking for bad news, I'm becoming accustomed to it. There's just some things in here that no longer shock me anymore or disgust me anymore. I'm just, I sort of read it like, yep, that's our world. That's sort of the way it is, right? Well, as we prepare for Easter... As we move forward here on this journey to the cross, this is a season of really asking God to search our hearts. It's a time to reflect of what Jesus did on the cross. And during this time, we are also diving further into God's word and we're praying and maybe meditating on his word. And maybe some of you are fasting or giving up certain things. It's a really intense focus so that we can fully experience the hope of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. But it's also that time where we have to look at the bad news in order to get the good news. Now, this morning I'd say grab your Bibles, but you're going to be, I'm going to be all over the place with various scriptures. So it's going to be on the screen, but there might be a passage too. I do really do want you to look at, so have your Bibles ready. But before we dig in there, I'm going to start off with with that bad news again. 
Got to start there so we can get to the good news. We've said before, sin, that's the bad news. It's missing the mark. It's committing a spiritual crime against the holy God is the way we've put it. Sin distorts everything in us, in our lives. It separates us from God. It leads us to uh, eternal death. But with that bad news is the good news. And the good news is that what Jesus did on the cross for us. Before I can fully understand the power of the good news, again, we have to experience that bad news. This is what I want to do this time because we've confessed. We've talked about confessing our sins. But there are certain sins in our lives that have built up around us and we don't even realize it. We've sort of been sucked into the culture of today. and We don't realize that there are some things out there that are very dangerous in our lives. So I want you to imagine right now a room in your house that is completely cluttered, okay? Now, this does not belong to anybody in here, okay? Just so you don't have to look around like, is that your place? Some of you are like, that is my place. Um, But I want you to imagine a room that just has things all over the place. Whether it's intentional or not... Sometimes things just pile up around us. There there's, seems like I, 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 I'm not really paying attention to it. It's just sort of piling up. I can still function. I can still get from point A to point B because I've created a path. Or I'm really good with stepping over things. And so it's not really that big of a deal. And it just sort of continues to pile up. Does that make sense? But here's the thing. We also do that in our lives emotionally and spiritually as well. Maybe... You and your spouse have had some issues going on. You're not talking like you used to talk, and things are sort of building up, and it's, you just don't want to deal with it. It's becoming cluttered. Maybe you have a bad habit. You know it's not good, and it's getting worse, but again, you don't want to deal with it, and it's sort of cluttering your life now. Maybe you know that your child or children have been disobedient and are doing things they shouldn't be doing, and you know you need to deal with it, but you really don't want the hassle of it, and you you just sort of let it pile up around you, and it's sort of cluttering your life. We know that something is broke in a relationship maybe that we have with some other people. And we'll say, well, we'll just fix it later. We just don't want to deal with it right now. You see how things clutter up in our life? Not just the physical things, but these other things. And what we do is we put off the brokenness. We put off the sins in our life. And here's what's going to happen. It's going to pile up. And our lives are going to be cluttered with a lot of brokenness and a lot of things in our lives that we've sort of ignored. And when we confess, confession is that moment when we look around the room and we see what's piled up around us. We look into our heart and we see what's piled up within us. And we ask that tough question, how has this impacted me? God, what do I need to confess? What do I need to start cleaning up? It's easier to look around the world and look at everybody else's piles, isn't it? It's easier to look at the world news or somewhere else and say, well, at least my life is not like that. At least what's going on in my world is not like over there in that part of the world. It's so much easier to do that, but really we need to stop and deal with our own life. And sometimes we just don't see that clutter as being an issue. It's not really that harmful. Matter of fact, dare me say, it's acceptable. We don't want to hurt other people's feelings, so we just excuse it. It seems that today, what God calls sin, we have called socially acceptable or culturally relevant. There's so many 
Matter of fact, who won't attend church? There are some that won't attend this church because we're not afraid to call sin for what it is. Sin. There have been times I've preached and I've said something about what God's word has to say about a certain sin. But it's accepted socially in this world. And somebody said, not coming back to your church because I don't agree with you. It's fine. I'm not God. But you are not God either. We are not qualified to declare what is right or wrong. Only God is qualified to declare what is right or wrong, and that's what we preach. And we must remember that just because our culture says it's okay doesn't make it okay with God. God told us not to conform to this world. God told us to be countercultural. Matter of fact, if you look in the scripture, 1 John chapter 2, it says this, do not love, let me back it up on the screen for you, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love this world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from the world. It's like, it's like John's pointing out pleasure, the things we see and we crave, that pride, those achievements, the things we chase after, those are the things of the world. They're not from God. Romans 12, 2 says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Scripture tells us there's the way the world sees things, and there's the way God sees things, and we are not supposed to be copying the world. We're to be different from the world. A very interesting article came out recently, and uh, Dave actually forwarded it to me, and I was like, well, that's good timing because this goes with what I was going to be sharing this week. I'm going to put this article up on the screen for you as I read it so you can follow along. CNN's resident LGBT activist host, Don Lemon, hopped onto ABC's gay-friendly daytime talk show, The View, to lecture Christians about what we believe. Don Lemon said, I think that the Catholic Church and many other churches really need to re-examine themselves and their teachings because that opposition to gay unions is not what God is about. Really? How does Don Lemon know what God is about? How do I, how do you know what God is about? Here's how we know what God is about. We pick up the infallible, inerrant word of God to learn what God is about. I don't have to listen to a popular person tell me what God is about when I can hear it from God himself. The article goes on to say this. God has become a projection of our own personality, a blank canvas upon which you've painted your own conception of what God should be based upon your own self-interested passions, opinions, and desires. In other words, we get to decide what is of ultimate value, and then we fashion our God to reflect that, and we worship that. That kind of religion is not what God gave us. Instead of adhering to the God of the Bible, the world wants the God of the Bible to listen to its perspective. Are you following me, church? 
we have celebrities, activists, well-meaning and very opinionated people telling Christians what the Bible should say. As Christians, we should know God's word. We should be immersed in God's word. We should be memorizing God's word. So when those anti-God statements and stances rise up, Christians rise up above them. 2 Timothy 2.15, a verse I remember as a little kid learned in Awana, was this. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study, get into God's word, know God's word, so that when these countercultural messages come flinging into the church and into the lives of Christians and start cluttering all around us, we know how to declutter the mess with the truth. Some churches are willing to tell you whatever you want to hear to make what? The seats fill up and the offering plates get full. The problem is, is that the Jesus that everyone wants to embrace isn't the real Jesus of the Bible. The real Jesus is the one that most everyone wanted to crucify. Think about that. When people realize that Jesus wanted to get into their life and help them deal with the sins of their life, they stopped following Jesus. And they started screaming, crucify Jesus. Crucify him, right? Jesus told us, don't team up with this world. Don't team up with this culture and the clutter. Instead, you be countercultural. You should not be craving the approval of this world. This world's going to hate us. Even if you think you like it, it hates you because you are a Christian. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. This is one passage I'm going to have you look at. Jesus is in the upper room with, with his disciples. It has been a time where they've, he's washed their feet. They've uh, shared the Passover meal together. He's going to be going to the garden soon to pray, and he's going to be arrested and crucified. But before all that, he looks at his disciples, and he says this to him. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? The slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would have listened to you. Every week I get an email from our church conference, and it's a prayer email. And at the bottom, as it goes through all the local needs, it hits national and international needs. And I'm amazed as I still read about churches in foreign countries that are being burned to the ground, Christians are being arrested, thrown in prison, and some Christians are being put to death. That's going on. Because in those nations, to live for Jesus Christ is against the law. And they're being persecuted. We have no clue what that's like. We are so blessed, aren't we? I know it feels like some of us like, oh, I feel like my freedoms are going to be gone here soon. But praise God, we still have these freedoms. But there are people who don't have those. Do you know why they're being killed? Do you know why their church is being burned? Because the world hates Christians. Let's not sugarcoat it anymore. Don't pretend that, oh, they'll like me. No, they won't. 
The things of this world will not like you. There are things that we believe are going to bring us happiness and fulfillment, which are actually deceptive tricks of the devil that started way back in the Garden of Eden. The devil tricked Adam and Eve then, and he still tries to trick us today. We look around the culture today and we say, well, this is okay, isn't it? No, this is something that the devil has tricked us into thinking it's okay, but it's not. Let me give you an example. Mardi Gras. 2020 Mardi Gras, a few of the New Orleans Saints, that's a football team, their players have a float, and uh, they, they usually put a float in every year. In 2020, their float was entitled Beastly Kingdoms of Orpheus. Now, Mardi Gras, or Fat Tuesday, is typically, well, I should say, it was, it was instituted by the French Catholics, basically to indulge yourself with everything you want before six weeks of Lent. The celebration really was symbolized by a bull. The bull symbolized the ancient god of Baal. Remember Baal back in the Old Testament? During Mardi Gras, people, they wear masks. They wear costumes of fairies, animals, mythical creatures. Since 1989, women have been exposing themselves in exchange for beads. Drunkenness is common on Bourbon Street. See, knowingly or unknowingly, a lot of partygoers are praising Bacchus, the Greek god of wine, Venus, the Greek goddess of sex, Orpheus, the god of music, and Amor, the god of eroticism. What we don't understand is Mardi Gras is a pagan celebration filled with corruption, but for many, it's a culturally accepted thing to do, right? For a lot of us, like, I didn't know that. I just thought people went down there and had a good time. It's more than that. There's so many things in our culture that are like that. As a Christian, here's the thing. The more I learn about God's word, the more I discover that I need to separate myself from the things of this world and the clutter in this world. Following the Jesus of Scripture is going to leave us as Christians isolated and feeling rejected at times. Because there are others out there that are following a different God. Not the one that you are following. Not the one that I am following. We will be treated by society just as Jesus was treated. We'll be treated in time just as countless of other generations of believers have been treated. In every realm that's been treated. And here it is. Here's our cry. And before I tell you what our cry is, I I can always think, and I mentioned this in the 9 o'clock service, to Mike and Rhonda Borton. I don't know why, but this thing, when when I'm about ready to say just... Right away, my first picture that comes to mind is Mike and Rhonda Borden. Here's the phrase. You may have this world, but give me Jesus. You may have this world, but give me Jesus. That's why we pray for our eyes to be open, to examine the clutter around us. We become so accustomed to the clutter of this world that it's like, oh, it's just sort of here. It's sort of natural. The good news comes with the bad news. Bad news comes with the good news. It's all sort of here. And it's like, God, open my eyes to the clutter around me. Open my eyes to the spiritual darkness that is around me. I need to see it for what it is and call it for what it is. We live in a world that's really confused, especially us Christians, by our identity. Who are we? We try to fit the mold of this whole world. For some of us, we're like, I want to be my own person. I'm going to do my own thing. Okay, you do that. And what's the first thing that person says? Hey, what are you wearing? Hey, what are you going to choose? Okay, I'll choose that too. All we're doing is just finding another group to fit in with. We try to meet somebody else's needs or standards to be loved. 
There's a lot of young people, and, and I remember these days when I was in junior high and high school. I remember them way too clearly when I tried to look a certain way so that a certain person would like me. Because I just want them to like me. So I will act a certain way. I will look a certain way. I might part my hair a certain way. I might dress a certain way. Because I just want to be loved. We, we try to be accepted and loved by others. We don't realize that we are already loved by the one who matters most. We have strained to change what God's created. God created you just the way you are, right? He created your body, but we strain to change it so that we can be loved by other imperfect people. It just doesn't make sense to me sometimes. But yet I fall prey to it as well. And what does God say? God just says this, I love you, period. Isn't that awesome? God doesn't say, hey, can you change this? Then I'll love you. Hey, I need you to adjust this and alter this. Then I'll love you. God just says, I love you, period. All I want is your heart. And here's the thing. He is willing to come into our heart and to do the cleaning up, to do the uncluttering if we just ask, if we just surrender. And once we surrender our, once we surrender our heart to him, then it's, as athletes would say, it's game on. Let's do this. Let's go, right? All this talk about sin and the culture, you know, it sounds like really bad news, but church, we got to get through the bad news so we can get to the good news. And this is why Jesus went to the cross. The cross sounds like such bad news, right? But that same cross brings us the good news. The cross is our point of victory. It was an ultimate sacrifice, but it brings great hope for us as Christians. It's a picture of generosity, It's what God did and will continue to do in us and through us. So when we confess, God forgives us. And then he makes us new. We walk out of that prison cell. We walk past the prison gates. He gives us his new clothes of righteousness. He calls us new. And we're given a new direction to live. We don't go back to our old neighborhood where we always messed up and where we struggle with. He says, I'm giving you a new place, a new direction. Let's go. In your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're in John, just go past that, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, there in chapter 5, we're going to read a few verses. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, starting in verse 14, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Verse 15, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Look at verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. Church, that's good news. See, the bad news is our old life. The good news is we have a new life. We are created new. When I look at the scripture, the Greek word here for new means something that is new, brand new, recently made. It also carries with the idea of being superior. So when Paul's writing this, he says, when you surrender your life to Christ, He takes your old life and he gives you new. This new life you have is nothing like the old. It's not renovated. It's not corrected. It's not improved version. 
It is new and superior to your old way of living. Matter of fact, it says he's going to, we're going to become a new creation. And, and that new creation, that new creature there, actually is used in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. When God took nothing and created everything. In the same way, we are created new. And I think about that, that is amazing because I didn't like my old. Many of you didn't like your old. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, How far have your sins been removed? See, when you ask for forgiveness, God says, As far as the east is from the west. That's how far I've removed your sins. You're new. When Christ came into your life, He created you to be free from the past, free from the negative effects, the things that have gone on in your life, liberated from things that have shackled you down. So we walk away from all this clutter. That's in our lives, forgiven and free. I want you to think about this. That old person that used to be you no longer exists. You are new in Christ. You are brand new. And because of that, we can love because he first loved us. We sacrifice for others because we saw the sacrifice that he did for us. We can obey because he obeyed first for us. We can fight temptation and become victorious because he is victorious. We can humble ourselves and serve because he left heaven. He humbled himself and served. What we do now, how we live, is because he now has given us a new life and he empowers us to do so. We're new. We are new. And here's the amazing thing. Despite this truth, sometimes our emotions sink in and we don't feel like we're loved. Even though we know we are loved, God tells us this. I've told you this. You probably tell each other this, that you're loved by God. But sometimes our emotions get in there and it's, it's frustrating. I, I need to remind you this. Nothing can cancel God's love for you. Okay? I know I'm loved, but yesterday, no, stop. Nothing can separate God's love from me. Nothing can cancel God's love from me. I am so sick and tired of hearing the phrase, cancel culture. It has gotten way too old. It's frustrating. Cartoons have been canceled. Children's books have been canceled. Songs that I thought were okay to sing, I can't sing anymore. They've been canceled. And yet you'll turn on the Grammy Awards and you will watch on stage a sexual lesbian act take place to a song that was number one four weeks in a row on the billboard. I can't even say the name of the song because it's so gross and disgusting. And yet some of you know that song, and yet we think it's okay. It is wrong. Cancel that, please. But you cannot cancel the love of God. The good news is that can't be canceled. God's love can never be canceled. This world needs Christians to start standing up for him and saying, you can't cancel God's love and you can't cancel me loving others in the name of God. Amen. For various reasons, we have cautiously stopped praying and gathering and worshiping and singing. We need to pray. We need to worship. We need to proudly stand for our Lord and Savior as he did for us. And listen, we can accept the bad news for what it is. It's bad, no doubt about it. But because of the good news of Christ, we have hope, we have peace, and we have joy. We have the victorious spirit of God in us. We have, through his spirit, the power to stand and live differently than the rest of this world. 
God did not free us just to let us hang out by the prison walls and regret that we're not in those bars anymore. I do not want to return to sin. He does not want us to return to the scene of the crime where there's regret for the things the way we used to live. John 8, 12 says, we're to follow the light of the world, not darkness. The light is what we're to follow. We are free to live a forgiven life and now obey his commands. Think about this. Why would God free us if he didn't have a plan or purpose for us? It isn't like God has forgiven you and freed you and then it's like, okay, I guess I don't know what's next. Go do whatever you want. No, God says, I have forgiven you. I have freed you. Now I've got a plan for you. I've got purpose for your life. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us, there's that word again, new in Christ Jesus with a purpose so we can do the good things he's planned long ago. He's got a plan for us. He's got a purpose for us. I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. We are free. We're created uniquely with purpose. Each and every one of you in this room has been given a gift by our Lord. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each one of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. Here's the thing, church. Forgiven. Free. Uniquely created. I've got a plan and a purpose that God gave me. I've got a gift to use it for him. It is now my responsibility. It is your responsibility to now use that gift for him. I heard one author say this. Responsibility is our response to God's ability. Let me say that again. Responsibility is our response to God's ability. Another famous quote is this. With great power comes great responsibility. Okay, that was Spider-Man. But both of them are pretty much hitting the same area there, okay? With great, think about that. With great power comes great responsibility. I've got the power of God, His Holy Spirit in me. His gifts in me. With great power comes what? Great responsibility. Let me hear you say forgiven. We are forgiven and free, and this is good news. Let me hear you say thanks. We give thanks. So we praise and we worship God. Let me hear you say God's word. We immerse ourselves in God's word. Let me hear you say obedience. We live in obedience because God, who first loved us, we now love him by obeying him. And let me hear you say good news. We share the good news with everyone. God wants me to love others. He wants us to share that good news with other people. When I think about this, though, we are going to be challenged. Somebody's going to come up and question the way you live. That's okay. And sometimes you're just going to be thinking that you're going to hear a voice or it's like, I don't know if I can do this. Just remember this. Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are the rock. Upon you, I'm going to build my church. And then what happened to Peter? He denied Jesus three times. And it was like the devils are sort of whispered into the ears of Peter. You can't build the church. You denied Jesus. Not just once, Peter. Oh, not just twice, Peter. Three times you said you didn't know Jesus. That's embarrassing. (laughs) How can you, Mr. O disciple, do something big for Jesus? I believe Satan will always try that same tactic with us. 
He will try to discourage you and put doubt in your life. He'll remind you of your sins. He will tell you your sin is too dark and too deep. He'll say that you may be free, but you can't serve God. You've got a past. You're no longer qualified. You'll never be accepted back into the church. Matter of fact, when you walk back to that church, people are going to judge you. You probably shouldn't go back to church. They know you're messed. Oh, you're alone. You'll always be alone. Those are all lies whispered into your from Satan. Those are all lies. Dismiss them. Listen, we are, as Christians, we're not guaranteed immunity from temptation and tribulation and trials. But we are promised God's presence to help us in our tough times. Suffering will afflict us, but it will never separate us from him or his love. You may not get over it, but as I've heard Max Lucado say, you will get through it. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, there's a lot of clutter in our lives. And as we've talked about confession over the past weeks, there's things around us that we didn't even realize that are challenging us. And it's the clutter of this world and the culture of this world. And as Christians, listen, we got to live counter that. we got to live in a way that honors Christ. I want to read a letter to you. This was written uh, by my mom. She's 89. And um, this was written just three weeks ago, two weeks ago, actually. And it was sent to all the grandkids, and she sent me a copy. And I asked her permission. I said, Mom, can I read this to our church? She goes, yeah, yeah, go for it. And this is what she wrote. A year ago now, our government health department asked churches to close in person services and restrict singing in church to slow down the spread of coronavirus. Hebrews 10:25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Psalms 100 verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing and joyful songs. She went on to write this then. I decided that I wanted to share with you about how your Geyer and Stump ancestors felt that churches were essential, and they desired a place to worship God. They helped build churches in their neighborhood. Every community worked together. In 1906, your great-great-grandpa Charles Geyer, who lived on Cedar Road, he, along with others in the neighborhood, met in a schoolhouse where they'd been meeting for worship services for a business meeting to build Madison Union Chapel. They put union in the name so that all people would feel welcome to worship together. Levi Hahn and his sister lived across the road from Charles. They donated some of their land at the intersection of Cedar and Pierce Roads for the church building. People made a petition and a constitution for building, and then volunteers canvassed the vicinity and other churches for contributions. Contributions varied from 25 cents to a dollar. Four carpenters boarded with the houses during the week while building the church. Madison Union Chapel was dedicated in December of 1906. The cost to build the church was $2,708.10. Right down to the cents. On December of 19, 27 of 1931, the church, however, was closed due to a lack of attendance. 13 people offering 85 cents. Reopened, though, in March 19, 1933, with a revival. Great, great Grandpa Charles helped build that church using his horses for jobs. 
He was a trustee, a janitor, mowed the lawn, gave wood. By the way, my parents were married in June of 1931. They lived right down the road and attended a different church. But in 1943, we started going to Madison Union Chapel due to gas rationing, and we walked to church. Your great, 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 great grandpa, Daniel Stump, he owned 160 acres in Elkhart County. He bought the land from the government for $1.25 an acre. Mm. He founded the Union Grove Brethren in Christ Church. They met homes and barns. But in 1885, he donated some land at the corner for the church building. Members donated material, time, energy to build the church. Daniel's son, Abraham, lived on County Road 11, had a large poplar tree, which provided all the lumber for the siding on the church building. Abraham had a sawmill, cut down the tree, and wood was sawed and planed and then put together by local volunteers. She concludes with this last paragraph. Our ancestors came to America for the promise of freedom. Someone has said, we can't be the land of the free if we're not the home of the brave. I pray we won't bow the knee to secular culture today. But because we love God, we'll desire to worship him in our churches. In love to all, Grandma Arlene Stump. Would you stand, please? I'm thankful that my mom wrote that letter to my kids and all of her grandkids to remind this generation and the next generation that the church is essential, that we are separate from the rest of this world, that we should not bow our knees to a secular world, but we bow our knees to one name and one name only. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? I pray that we as a church will remember this and not just Look at the clutter and be okay with it. Let's stop being okay with the clutter. Let's clean it up. Let's live righteously. Let's live boldly and courageously for him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. The truth that you love us. That we are forgiven and we are free. We are made new. We are made in your image, given a purpose and a plan. So God, with your spirit residing in us, holy new, God, help us to stand courageously and boldly in this world, to proclaim your name and to share the good news with our family, with our friends, with our neighborhoods, with this community and the next community. God, help us to be proud and loud with your name. Not our name, your name. This isn't about true north. This is about the name of Jesus Christ. And we, your children, want the boldness and the courage to keep proclaiming that name every single day. God, we love you and we want to sing to you now, Lord. In the name we pray, amen.